0: Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. God, as we dive into your word today, would you just prepare our hearts? Would you prepare our minds? Would you align our spirit with your Holy Spirit this morning? Teach us, help us to dive right into your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, family. You know, there's nothing more important than family, or at least I've been told that many times in my life. Before we go any further, I know what some of you are wondering. Why is Tom wearing a suit? (laughs) Who died? (laughs) This is not our subtle way of giving you bad information. You have not missed a holiday. We're not celebrating the Jewish ones now or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to look nice, and, uh, but then the choir showed up, and I still feel underdressed. So can we give another hand for the uh, Indiana Wesleyan Choir? <laughs> this morning, we're continuing our home series, and let's just jump right into it. The topic today is sibling rivalry. Now, I am the oldest of four siblings Anybody else in here, you are the oldest of siblings. You're the oldest child, right? We We raise our hands high, proud. Um, Everybody else take note because we are here and in charge. So that's that's how that works. Um, Anybody in here, you are the baby. You're the baby. Yep. All right. You can raise your hands. Mom and dad already gave permission. And uh, not to mention they threw out the rules when you were born anyway. So it doesn't really matter anymore, does it? Yeah. All right. Let's move on. So in our text today— Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, wait, where's all the middle siblings? You're used to being forgotten, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. No worries. I, I feel like we should give you like a gift bag on your way out. Um, it, it will be a bag of hand-me-downs, you know that. That's what it will be for you. So, But uh, no, no sibling rivalries or uh, problems here. Um, I love my siblings. I am the one boy i i 'm the oldest. I have three younger sisters and yeah, i I appreciate your your pity um, the uh, In fact, we have a picture of them. Uh, this is us in our prime. I think that 's why I picked it um, <laughs> The, uh, now, by the way, I, I love my sisters, all very strong women, um, which I think makes me a stronger man. Uh, Tom's two cents, if you cannot appreciate a strong woman, you might be a weak man. So girl power, there you go. Um, but, uh, but what happens when you're outnumbered in your family by women, when it's just you, dad, and the dog, and the rest is all girls, um, you find yourself growing up doing things that are just important to women, for example, coordinated Halloween costumes. <laughs> let's start. This is my sister, Christy, who was actually playing cello this morning. Um, this is my sister and I, Raggedy Ann and Andy. And let's be honest, what little boy doesn't want to be Raggedy Andy for Halloween? <laughs> oh, thanks, Mom. Um, then there was the year of the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, there we are. Uh, mom was nice enough to put that one in the paper so everybody could see. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, I get to be the one without a brain. Um, worst, worst one of all, worst one of all was, hey, let's knock out Christmas on Halloween. This one was particularly scarring for at least two reasons. I don't know if you can see the tights I'm wearing or the curly shoes. Um, This was also middle school. Yep, I know. It explains a lot, I'm sure. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you're outnumbered by ladies in your family. Um, I I wonder if that's how Lazarus in the Bible felt. All right, we know he's a middle child, the only male, as far as we know, in his family. He, he's got an older sister named Martha, and he's got the baby sister, Mary. And, and we know that there's kind of this tension, perhaps a rivalry between Martha and Mary. And if you've got your Bibles, your phones, what have you, uh, you can open them up to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're looking at the very end of the chapter. We're going to dig into the text there. Um, and we see this kind of tension perhaps this rivalry play out between Martha and Mary now if we're honest we don't know exactly what has caused this rivalry we we can speculate in fact we're going to this morning and uh, but but i think if we can begin to identify the problem at hand well then it's already half solved and uh, and so so i want to maybe suggest some possible uh, reasons for the tension, uh, and there are reasons that we have tension in our own relationships, among our own siblings. Uh, if you're an only child, you don't get to you know, uh, sleep on this one. This is, you still have relationships, cousins, what have you. The same applies here. Uh, but, but perhaps this, perhaps there's a tension point simply because we don't get them. We don't get them. Um, they, they are wired differently than us. And so we have this rivalry because we don't get them. We don't understand their personalities. We, we don't understand why things are so important to them and, and uh, why things that are important to us aren't so important to them. Uh, they're just wired differently than us. And, and in my own uh, home situation... I have one sister who is wired very similar to me, and, and I have the, the other two sisters are wired very similar to each other, uh, a bit different. I, I would describe them as more caring, empathetic. Um, I, I would put it this way. If we all went to go pick out a dog for our family, uh, me and the one sister who is like me, we would pick out uh, the strongest dog that could contribute the most to our family, Um, This would be the alpha dog, who would be the leader of other dogs, be lead the other. You know, if there were packs in the neighborhood, our dog would lead that pack. Um, The other two sisters would go to the pound and pick out the one-legged dog with diabetes, and and go, "This is perfect. We can care for this this poor dog." Um, We're just we're just wired differently, and we know that Martha and Mary. Well, they're wired differently. We know some things about Martha. Right away, uh, we know martha she 's the oldest, and, and typically typically the oldest uh, they, they tend to be a little more rule conscious, uh, more conservative or organized. They view themselves as the responsible one. Um, they also tend to have a higher self esteem, sometimes they can be competitive, often jealous, and, and they put a lot of pressure upon themselves so they can become easily anxious and We know that martha well. She owns her own home in the text. Uh, In fact, she opens her home many times to Jesus and probably to many other people. She's just probably very hospitable. And we know Martha has a wonderful relationship with Jesus. She's loved and respected by Jesus. And, And let's be honest, in her situation, she's got the pressure on Okay, I mean, you thought it was difficult to host your in-laws over the holiday. Try hosting the Son of God over an afternoon. I, I mean, the good news is you finally get to use that good china that you've been saving for the Pope. Jesus, he can beat that guy. Okay, so, so, so here's the situation. And then you have Mary. Mary, different personality, wired in a different way. Uh, the youngest child of the family. And the youngest child, often, they, typically, they're, they're a little more outgoing, They can be the charmer in the family. They might be the party animal, the one who takes the risks. Um, They're often viewed by the other siblings as the irresponsible sibling in the family. Uh, Mary probably lived with Martha in Martha's home and with her brother Lazarus. But we know Mary was very expressive when it came to her devotion to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with being different. It's when we begin to resent the differences that the problems begin to occur. And I often wonder, how would Martha tell this story? I wonder if Martha, here she is trying to get Mary's attention. She's over in the other room preparing the meal, maybe in the kitchen, and she's kind of stomping around just a little louder, trying to get Mary's attention, maybe banging the pots and pans a little more than necessary, uh, maybe just kind of sighing or breathing heavy, and just trying to get Mary's attention. But, but Mary, it's like she speaks a different language. She's not receiving the signals. It's almost as if she's oblivious. I can relate to this in my, my own family. There, there are times where our side of the family will get together and then my wife and I are driving home from a family event and my wife will inform me, she'll say, did you know that for a better part of a day, your sisters, two of them, they were in an argument with each other and, and uh, they cried, they hugged, they made up, and, but I'll be oblivious. I will have, have no idea. I was just real excited we had cake at the event. I mean, I, I have no idea that, that this is what's going on and, and, uh, and sometimes oblivious and... And perhaps for Martha, it's, it's not that they don't even have a negative interaction, it's that they have no interaction in this moment. You know, sometimes it's, it's almost better if somebody's rude to us than if they actually ignore us. It hurts more if we're ignored. And perhaps that's the reason of a rivalry. Maybe there's a past hurt. Maybe we were hurt by them at some point in the past, Maybe it wasn't in that moment for Mary and Martha. Maybe, maybe there was another moment years prior where Mary just did something or said something that cut Martha to the core, and this is just kind of bringing up those old feelings. Now, there's science behind that. I don't know if you knew that, but there, there's, a, there's a book I read recently called Emotional Intelligence uh, by Dr. Daniel Goldman. It's a very boring book. If, uh, if you're losing if sleep, you know, read it. But um, the... <laughs> I didn't want to lead you astray and go, that's a good read. No, it's not. um, (laughs) But I want want to share with you what what, what I think is the best part of the book, the most fascinating part of the book, and that is it talks about how our brains, all of us, how they're wired. You see, we have this very important part of our brain called the cerebral cortex. And, And when it's our cerebral cortex, then when the problems make it up to the cerebral cortex, that's where we best solve them. That's where the tensions can best uh, be relieved. That's where we pull in the logic and past information and we're able to begin to solve the the problems to, to break up the rivalries in that cerebral cortex. The problem is this other part of our brain called the amygdala. The amygdala, it's a much smaller part of our brain. Now, the amygdala has a very important function. It's the part of the brain that helps us make a split decision of fight or flight, In other words, if a boulder is rolling at you, you don't want to be in the cerebral cortex going, Should I go left, right, and jump? Oh no, I'm dead. I mean, you don't. You want the amygdala to kick in and go, Run! You know, get out of the way. And so it's a very important part of the brain. And the thing is, every bit of information we receive goes first through the amygdala. Which is fine. It could save our life. But the problem is, the amygdala stores up past pains. So, so if you once touched fire and it hurt, the amygdala is going to cue it in the next time you see fire to say, Hey, don't touch that. Remember the last pain you received? And what also happens in the amygdala is you can get past pains, and, then, and when you see something remotely close to what resembled a past pain, it releases the chemicals and the hormones, and all of a sudden you're upset, maybe about nothing. It, it, it can work this way, where, where maybe years ago your sibling looked at you kind of funny, and then said something deeply hurtful to you in the next moment. And years can go by, and somebody else might look at you funny in a similar way to they did, and all of a sudden you're just mad at them. They haven't done anything else. Your amygdala queued in, goes, oh, it's coming, get ready, or or, or you almost believe it has, and you feel all those emotions. and and, And the thing is, it'll never make it up to the cerebral cortex to solve it when it's just bouncing around emotionally in our amygdala. And so perhaps that's what's going on in in this process. Perhaps it's just past hurts are bouncing around in the amygdala and not getting anywhere where they can resolve it. Or maybe, maybe there's none of that. Maybe this is just a time where Martha is truly trying to protect and save Mary. You see, Mary is doing something in this moment totally against her culture. It's actually very dangerous. In that culture, no woman... Should be that close to another man, especially one she's not married to. And here she could appear to be throwing herself at Jesus. And perhaps Martha is trying to save her sister, trying to save her from embarrassment, or pray, maybe trying even to save her from punishment from the city elders later. And, and so perhaps it's all good intentions. She's just trying to protect her sister, but the sister won't take the protection, so it causes the tension. What do you do? What do you do when you have this problem, this rivalry, this tension among siblings, this tension in your relationships? Well, I think in the text, we can walk away this morning with two things to do. One of which Martha does and one of which Mary does. And they're both excellent things that we can learn from this morning. You see, Martha does something that little kids often do. Martha gets somebody else involved. In this case, it's Jesus. She gets involved into the problem, into the rivalry. It's kind of like when the kid goes to mom and says, Mom, can we eat candy? And mom says, No. And they go to dad. And they go, Dad, can you tell mom that we can eat candy? And try and get somebody else involved. But we don't know the motives behind this, this decision by Martha, but we know the product of it, and that is she gets Jesus involved. You know, there's nothing more important than family except Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the most important relationship we have. And the beauty about our relationship with Jesus is nobody cares more about you, your siblings, your family, your relationships than Jesus. And so if you're gonna get somebody involved, why not take a clue from Martha and get Jesus involved? Now, I think it's pretty bold how how Martha gets Jesus involved. You can read it here in verse 40 uh, of Luke chapter 10. She says, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement to Jesus, but he's big enough to handle it. And, and this is Jesus' opportunity to scold Martha, right? To put her in her place. But he doesn't. He responds to her tenderly. How do we know this? Because he says her name Twice. In the verse prior, Martha can't even say Mary's name. She's like, my sister did this. It's kind of like when I get so upset at my boys, I'm like, son, get over here. Uh, I'm not going to call them by their name. Or if I do decide to call them by their name, it's going to be once. It's going to be loud. And if I call their, their middle name and last name too, they're in big trouble. But here Jesus is going, Martha, Martha. He's softening her heart, preparing her mind to learn something in this moment. She got him involved. Now he's going, let, let's learn something in this moment. Uh, he says this in verse 42. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. What's better? What did Mary do that was so right? I think she's actually on to something new. He, we find out, if you go back a few verses, to verse 39. It says, Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And if you go back to the original Greek in which this text was written, and you get to that verb, to sit, it's more than just sitting, it's, it's a verb that implies proximity, and the, the idea is that she got so near to Jesus in that moment, as close as she could get to this man, she got to him. She got near to Jesus. You know, I think sometimes we can we can read the story or hear the story, and we make this automatic assumption that Martha did all the work, that Mary didn't help her, but but in the text, Martha actually says, "No, my sister left me," which implies that before Jesus arrived, the two of sisters were working preparing the meal together. But once Jesus showed up, Mary took her opportunity to get as close to Jesus as humanly possible. Why? She wanted to get near to him to hear what he was about to say. Jesus is about to speak into the situation, and Mary decides to get near Jesus. To hear Jesus. I think so often we forget to involve Jesus. Or we assume it's a family thing. Jesus, you're going to want to sit out on this one. Or I need to handle this. So I'll get back to you on Sunday. But, but you know, this is our situation. I, I need to try and solve this one. I need to try and figure it out. But no, Jesus is like, get me involved. I care. I have something to say. Get me involved. And then listen. Get close, though, so you can hear me. I think when we can get Jesus involved, when we get near to Jesus to hear him I think there's several things that it where it helps in our sibling rivalries and our relationship tensions and our problems one it simply does this it helps us it helps us navigate the problems to see the possibilities Jesus tells Martha he says you're worried and upset about many things Martha here's the irony the text gives it away Jesus didn't invite himself over to Martha's house says that Martha opened her home to Jesus. It doesn't say anywhere in the text that Jesus is like, I'm going to require a really elaborate meal. No, for all we know, Jesus could have just enjoyed a tuna fish sandwich and some company, and that would have been enough. You see, sometimes the problems and tensions that we are stuck in are the ones we've created. And then sometimes, sometimes we spend a lot of time in that amygdala trying to solve problems that are not really Problems. I want to share something with you this morning. I hope it's freeing for some of you. It's simply this. If you cannot do anything to change it, if there's no decision you can make that will affect it to change, then it is not a problem. It is simply a circumstance. See, problems can be solved. But if there's nothing you can do to change the problem, then it's not really a problem. It's a circumstance you've yet to accept. But when we can begin to accept things as circumstances, for, for example, if your sibling is wired differently than you, you're not gonna change that. You're not. You can get as frustrated as you want, you can let all the emotions bounce around in your brain, you can lash out, you can gossip, you can do whatever, you can leave it unresolved, but it won't solve anything. But you know why? Because it's not a problem, it's a circumstance. And until we accept that, when we can begin to embrace that it's our circumstance, well, then we can start navigating it. Then we can start making decisions where we can affect and solve problems. And the beauty about problems is every problem presents a new possibility. It doesn't always feel that way, but it's true. It was a couple months ago that I had a backyard project for my house. And, and several guys from my uh, connect group, we help each other out with backyard projects about once a month. It was my turn. And, uh, and I needed the guys to uh, help me move a big pile of dirt that I was having delivered uh, from my driveway to the backyard of my house for this project we were doing. And, um, and the guys, they were all coming on a Saturday. I had weeks earlier called the Dirt Company and ordered dirt to be delivered at 9 a.m. on the Friday, the day before. And so about 9.15 on that Friday arrives and I hear a dump truck. And I go out of my front door only to see a dump truck across the street caddy corner dumping a big pile of dirt into my neighbor's driveway. <laughs> I'll be honest. My very first thought was, what a coincidence that he ordered dirt the same day I did. And then I realized that's, that's dumb. Um, no, and then, and then to make it worse, the truck backs out, drives past me, and the driver waves to me as I'm like, what's going on? And uh, I, I called the driver. I had his telephone number, and I asked the guy. I said, um, just out of curiosity, are you still going to bring by my dirt? And the driver goes, I just did. And I'm like, not to my house you didn't. And he goes, oh, it's, it's uh, 3034, right? I'm like, nope, nope, it's 3043. And he goes, oh, no. He says, I, I even went to the door, and the guy answered the door, and I told him I have a delivery for Tom. And he goes, yeah, that's the name of my landlord. He said he had some sort of projects going on. Maybe it's that. I'll sign for it. He's like, the guy signed for it and everything. I was like, well, I'm Tom, and I need my dirt. <laughs> And he goes, Oh, no. He said, I'm going to have to talk to my boss and get back to you. And so, um, in the meantime, I decide to cross the street. And there I see my neighbor standing in his driveway looking at this really big pile of dirt and just scratching his head, wondering what in the world he'd do. And, um, and so I, I said, Hey, man, I think you have my dirt. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, no. And, and I decide to introduce myself. I say, hey, I'm Tom. And he goes, oh, no. And he, he, says, he says, they knocked on my door. I was half awake. I have an Asian landlord. His name is Tong. And uh, I could have swore they said they had a delivery for Tong. And I'm like, no, I, I, can, I can see the mix-up. What are the chances? Um, and, uh, and so, but you know what? In, in, that, in that whole mess of things, in that whole big problem, I got to meet my new neighbor, Eric, and his landlord, Tong. Um, and I got free dirt <laughs> out of the situation. Now, I, I could have been so frustrated at all the things that are not going my way or see the possibilities that are, that are now possible. I think that's the beauty of Jesus. When when we get him involved, he helps us navigate the problems to see what what it now makes possible. Perhaps this is a bonding experience for Mary and and Martha if they use it. Uh, Perhaps we know they're about to learn something in this moment. You know, when we get Jesus involved in the situation, we get near to him to hear what he has to say, it also helps us forgive. It it helps us forgive and heal. Now, this is something we're going to talk about uh, throughout the week, this week, in our Uh, connect groups and in our apt journal so encourage you to be part of that and look at this deeper and, and more what this looks like but but let me just say this who else to teach us about forgiveness than jesus it's easy to forget to forgive when you've forgotten you're forgiven and and who better to help us heal the situation than jesus Do you know there's over 30 times in the Gospels uh, where accounts where Jesus heals different individuals? Not to mention all the times he heals the multitudes. Who better to get into your rivalry, your tension, your problem, your situation than Jesus who can bring healing to it? You know, the last thing I think when we get Jesus involved in our situation, it helps us trust his care for those we love. My oldest son, Parker, the day he was born, it was a celebratory day. And that night I went to, to try and sleep. And, uh, and I remember as I'm laying, uh, just trying to close my eyes and get some rest. It's been a long day. And all of a sudden these things pop in my head. And it's, it's like, what if we don't feed them enough? Uh, What if we don't change him enough? What what if I shake him? I watched all these videos. I'm not supposed to shake the baby. What if I forget that and do that? What what if he he starts growing up and he gets, you know, badly injured or or, or terribly heartbroken? What if he grows up to be a terrorist? I mean, it just kind of goes on like that. It just spirals and... And uh, I didn't get much sleep that night, and the next morning, I I, uh, I talked to my mom on the phone, and I'm like, Mom, I'm really struggling. I'm so glad Parker's born, but I'm really struggling with this whole worrying about him thing. And my mom said, Welcome to the rest of your life. (laughs) When we love somebody, it's hard for us not to worry about them. But the problem with worry is it's literally killing us. Do you know there's 112 million Americans right now taking medication for worry and stress-related symptoms? Do you know that the Mayo Clinic just reported recently that 85% of their, their patient load, um, their patients who suffer from worry and anxiety. Do you know that there's a study done recently where, where doctors suggested that 70% of all patients could cure themselves if they could just stop doing one thing, worrying. You know, I think sometimes we think it's worry and stress. It comes on when we just try and do it all. But the truth is, worry and stress happen when we try and do anything without Jesus. Jesus wants to get involved. He has something to speak into our lives. You know, Jesus tells Martha, tells Martha he says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know what I think Jesus is telling Martha. I've got your sister. I've got her. She's made a good choice. You can't see all what's going on. You're kind of wrapped up in your own situation right now, Martha. But I've got your sister. She's with me, and she's going to be okay. She's going to be all right. Martha, I need you to see what I'm doing here. Because it's much bigger than a sibling rivalry. It's much bigger than the tension or problems you feel. See, Jesus in this moment was changing the rules, (laughs) Jesus, in this moment, was doing something that no man or rabbi had done before. He allowed this woman to sit at his feet and actually hear what he was about to say. He allowed her to break the cultural lines. Jesus is doing something amazing here. He's changing the rules. My my two boys, they've been playing baseball here for a couple years now, and we started with t-ball. And and then we moved to coach's pitch, where they pitch it underhand, and then it was machine pitch, and now we're into player's pitch, and... Every season, I catch myself, especially the beginning of the season, trying to get as close to the fence as possible so I can hear what the coach is saying because he's going over the rules with the players. And every year, the rules change. And I'll kind of report back to my wife, and I'll go, Honey, they, they can get out now. I mean, that's new. Um, they, uh, they, they, they can steal bases. So take note of that. Parker's got to wear a cup now. I mean, we didn't know. Um, and every year, the rules change. And you know why they change? Because the league, the league cares about the players. You see, Jesus is still changing the rules. And he wants to change the rules in your life. You know, it used to be, it used to be you had to be good enough. You had to be smart enough. You had to be culturally acceptable enough to get near to God. But Jesus has been changing those rules. You know, it used to be you had to hold on to your hurt. You had to hold on to your hate. You had to fight your rivals. But Jesus, no, he's changing those rules. It used to be that you had to take on the burdens of everybody else, including yourself, and you had to fix it. You had to solve it. But Jesus is changing the rules. He's still changing the rules because he cares about the players. You don't have to live anymore with those burdens, those worries, or those rivalries. Because Jesus wants to change the rules of your life. All you have to do is invite him into your situation, invite him into your problem. Get Jesus involved in your life today, and then get as close as you can get to him so you can get near to him to hear what he's about to speak into your life. We're just gonna practice that this morning. We're gonna take these next few moments. Invite Jesus into our life, into our situation, and get as close to him as humanly possible. We're going to open our hearts and our ears to hear what Jesus might have to say. And it may be an audible voice by the Holy Spirit that speaks to you the words you know you've been longing to hear. Or he might speak to you through the emblems of communion. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come on forward and be, begin passing out these emblems. It might be the broken bread that represents the broken body, which reminds us of what forgiveness truly looks like and how it was modeled for us. It, it may be the cups of juice that reminds us of the blood that was spilt by Jesus, that, that the power of it was so great to cover all the players, including our rivals, <laughs> Maybe it's the emblems that speak to us the love of God and the way Jesus has been changing the rules. I want us to just sit with God for a moment to commune with the God of the universe, to let Jesus speak to our hearts, to hear what he has to say. And when you are ready, when you are ready, you take the emblems, okay? When you're ready, you take them on your own. But let Jesus into your situation this morning. Get near to him to hear what he has to say for your life today.